At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, just a heads up that this episode includes some graphic talk about suicide. If you're having thoughts about it, help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline or text HOME to 741-741. In three, two, one. From the streets of New York to the hills of Tennessee, there has been one constant in Jamaica Holtzclaw's life. Championships. Six consecutive... It's 1998, and this game is the only thing standing between the University of Tennessee Lady Volunteers and an undefeated season. And at the center of that amazing team... Holtzclaw, great move inside. Jamaica Holtzclaw has 18 points in the first half. Tennessee fans were standing in their seats, celebrating long before the final buzzer. Shaniqua fed off the energy she would get inside those arenas. But behind the scenes, away from the cheering crowds and all the media attention, life was very different for her. She was plagued by something darker, something more complicated. Can you guys hear me Is over there? Is that better? Yes, that's better. Hi, Shaniqua. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Something was going on that even her closest teammates didn't know about. Whoever knows me knows, haha, she's really like silly and likes to have a good time, keeps everybody loose. And, you know, I look back now and I'm like, wow, like I was really operating like it was almost like two different people. I'm Vic Vela. I'm a journalist, a storyteller and a recovering drug addict. And this is Back From Broken from Colorado Public Radio. Stories about the highest highs, the darkest moments what it takes to make a comeback. Today, we're talking with basketball great Shamiqua Holtzclaw about mental health and the kind of recovery that happens behind the scenes, even when your life unfolds on national television. Shamiqua grew up in New York in a quiet middle-class neighborhood. It was a loving family, she says, but her parents had trouble with alcohol. Things got really tough fast. One time, her father passed out and locked her out of the house, and the police intervened. I just remember, I was like 10 or 11, and I heard the police say, oh, this environment is, um, these kids can't stay here, this is unstable. And I remember being carted off to the uh, police station and being asked all kinds of questions. Does this happen often? Do your parents, um, like, hit you? Um, All these questions Shamiqua was sent to live with her grandma, June, in a very different neighborhood in the middle of the city. Suddenly, Shamiqua found herself in the housing projects of Astoria, away from her parents and friends. 
I was feeling a lot of confusion, of、mm-hmm. course, and a lot of、um, anger because I was a kid. I grew up in like one environment. It was like middle class. I was comfortable. I knew the friends that I went to school with, and you just learn to cope in in those type of situations. When I say cope, like cope with the dysfunctional household, you know, it, it became normal in a sense. And、um, now here I am going to a totally different environment. So you know, I was bullied. Teased,、um, dealing with the the young kid stuff. Basically, on top of that, you know, just like this sadness because I miss my my parents.、Yeah. Um, this anger because I'm like, why did they let this happen? It is hard those times when you know your parents are. It's like a movie. You know, I'm the kid, really like. Oh man, my, our parents are coming for the weekend,、mm-hmm. and you know you have your backpack. You know you're waiting. You know that 15 minutes pass. Oh, grandma, grandma, you said they were coming at two o'clock. Then it's three. Then it's four, and it's like okay, they're not coming. And you know that really starts to 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 affect you. You know you feel like, am, am I not worthy of this? Why isn't my family normal? And you look at like the shows you watch at that time on television. You know from. <laughs> The the what's happening to family ties and <laughs>、yeah. you know the the Cosby Show and you think、mm-hmm. all right this is what a family is supposed to、uh, supposed to be and is supposed to operate like this. That's heartbreaking. Shamika, what did your anger look like at this time? How did it play out? I had different、uh, phases、uh, when I first moved with my grandmother.、Um, she knew that.、Um, You know something wasn't right. You know I wanted to wear the dark colors,、um, the temper tantrums. The she she could feel my moods. How did your grandma put you on a better path? My grandmother was really、uh, rooted, and she、uh, gave us you know stability,、um, discipline, and a lot of love and support.、Um, she told me I remember, you know I could cook and I could do things, and she's like, no, while you're here, you have to learn to be. A child,、okay. and my grandmother led the homeless mission at church.、Um, she was a Sunday school teacher, so I just had like a really great、um, role model in her. But she was she was tough, you know. <laughs> she she was also very tough on me, but a tough a, a tough love. Sure, all that's missing was a cape, right? She sounds like Superwoman, <laughs> right? <laughs> Shamika desperately needed calm and stability. And with Grandma June, she got it. Her grandma encouraged Shamika to get into activities, and there were basketball courts right outside her house where June could keep an eye on Shamika from the window. I played with the guys because of the fact that there wasn't like a lot of、uh, there was probably no、um, girl basketball basketball teams. You know, I grew up before the whole girl power、um, movement, so I just remember like pl- being one of the guys. You know, going out there playing, being the only girl on the team, but. It was always, I guess, something special about me. Even when I played, I was,、um, you know, better than them. <laughs> Now I look back, it's almost like the thing that fed my, my my soul, and I put a lot of time and energy into it.、Um, I remember my grandmother saying things like, "You know, you you have a lot of anger in you. Take out your anger and frustrations out there in the court, you know, because." Um, you can't have those like behaviors and outbursts in this neighborhood. You just never know someone may hurt you or you know want to fight with you. So that was my quiet, quiet space. And when I was out there, is like I didn't have thoughts about anything like negative. It was just like this. I was floating. 
It didn't take very long for Shamiqua to skyrocket from those Astoria projects to become a New York State champion with her high school team four years in a row. And college coaches sure noticed. They didn't know about the emotions that drove Shamiqua to play so hard. They just saw an athlete and a winner. Shamiqua had her choice of schools, and one coach in particular stood out. She's been called a pioneer, a motivator, a winner. But to the Tennessee faithful, she's just coach. In her nearly 40 years at Tennessee, Coach Summit has elevated women's basketball to the national stage. Shamiqua knew who Pat Summit was, but what really won her over was that Grandma June liked Summit too. And she knows she did the best handoff ever <laughs> <laughs> no to, kidding, right? to Coach Summit. And, you know, um, very similar in the way that they um, operated, um, the discipline, and just the life lessons. My grandmother trusted her, you know, with me. My grandmother felt this connection. And it's one of the best decisions that I made because, yes, she pushed me as an athlete, but also to be the best woman that I, I can be. Shamiqua became a rock star at Tennessee, a legend. Under Pat Summit's wing, she racked up title after title. She became the school's all-time leading scorer and rebounder for both women and men. Knoxville even named a street after her. Shamiqua became a household name. Girls all over the country were really looking up to her. She felt a responsibility to be a certain way in public, but even then... She didn't think the fans knew the real person she was inside. I love playing the game of, of basketball, but it was not who I was. You know, mm-hmm. I just wanted to go do my job and, you know, go back to the dorm or, you know, do my work, hang out with my friends. And it, it was just kind of hard, you know, having to, you know, in a public eye, like live up to that, you know, um, always be on when I was like really laid back. You know, I never understood, like, why people wanted my autograph. I mean, I, I kind of knew because of the amazing things that I did on the court, but a lot of people don't identify with, you know, a grown woman, a grown man coming up to you, handshaking, you know, and mm. I'm like, wow, like, they're shaking for me, and I'm just, like, so sh- I'm shy. I'm nervous that they're coming up to me, <laughs> you know? Well, and Shamiqua, at this time, you, all this, these incredible things going on around your life— during this time, you got a call from your grandma that uh, your dad was in a mental institution. Mm-hmm. Um, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. What do you remember about that phone call? I remember probably just like sinking back to like to the back of the room. It's like I was like, "What?" And I had that aha moment of understanding because I just remember my dad like having full on conversations uh, with himself. Um, I remember a situation that, you know, for him to tell us, like, I'm going to chop you guys up and, 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 and throw you down an incinerator. I remember my mom like being so scared and me just like, wow, just like all makes sense. Like, Oh man, like he's really sick. I mean, I couldn't imagine what what that was like for you to process. I couldn't like sleep a lot. Um, you know, just didn't feel motivated to stay on task. I was like going to class. I was like dreaded. Um, I felt a little uh, isolation. I would like isolate myself from like my teammates at times. Did you, Shamiqua, ever worry about what his diagnosis meant for you? 
Um, I did because I was like searching, like, why am I feeling like this? And as I started to like really peel back those layers, I think, oh, my God, like, am I like my dad? You know, um, is it like that whole tag you're it? It was especially hard for Shamiqua to deal with all those emotions, being so much in the public eye as an elite athlete. Well, you were suffering with severe depression. Um, Tell me, what did that look like? You just shut down. You just, like, protect certain parts of you. You're not, like, really open. And, you know, people, some people are a little forgiving. Um, They chalk it up, you know, when you're younger, up to certain things. Oh, my gosh, she's this stress, all this pressure. (laughs) Being away from home, you know, as most college students can experience that when they, um, you know, go away to school. You know, people start to make um, excuses to you because, you know, of that uh, inconsistent behavior. When I finally um, talked to Coach Summit about what I was experiencing and she agreed to let me go off campus for help. And you you hear the words off campus because, you know, these teams, these high level college teams are equipped with sports psychologists that you can talk to. But because of the stigma, I was afraid to talk with the woman who worked with our team because I thought my teammates were going to think that, you know, I was mentally weak or if I had these issues. The, the thing that really jumped out at me, Shamiqua, when you're talking about this is you talk about the stigma and weakness. Mm-hmm. And, and you're this athlete playing for a, a Division One school and winning all these titles. Did did you think something in your head was, was telling you that you were weak if you opened up about this stuff? Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, in my household, we didn't really like talk about about these things growing up. And, you know, when you overcome, when you're people who overcome and you put your head down and you do the work and you you just carry that like, oh, I'm all right. I can put, I can get through this. Yeah, tough it and out. for me. Yeah. For me, my get through was was athletics, you know, but we know that's really not going to be something as, as we're adults now. That's really um, sustainable. So again, you know, I start going to therapy. It was like amazing. I'm working through some things. The energy's coming back. Um, I'm I'm focused on school. I'm being taught uh, skills, skills that are helping me. And the next thing I know, it was like my sixth. I always remember that that sixth visit and. I just remember, and I've only had seen this in the movies. We all know the window pill with the dolls, and then they want to pry into your childhood. <laughs> and um, and that's what I walked in there that day, and she's like, "Oh, you see those dolls? We all have a childlike person inside of us." Yeah. And you know, she's like, "Today, you know, we're gonna really talk about your your parents and your emotions." And honestly, I shut down it, again. I, I, that wall it made me uncomfortable. So you carried that weight with you that the, during all of college because you just weren't ready to open up to someone. I, I never went back as a as a collegiate athlete and I coach summit. You know she would check. Oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm great. The basketball is the easy part. I, I constantly tell people, man, I could go just go perform. You know, and and that was probably like when I was my happiest, and that's when I could think clearly. But still. That, that pit in my stomach, those thoughts, like that crafty little creature on my shoulder, you know, telling me that I'm not worthy. It got it got really worse um, and worse. But if you were just a fan of the games, you would never know it. Shamiqua's career kept taking off. She became the overall number one pick in the WNBA draft. She was rookie of the year, and she even won an Olympic gold medal. We love the WNBA! We love the WNBA! 
Becky Young in Shamiqua Holtzclaw. She is the future of the game. She has lived up to all the forward from the Washington Mystics, Queens, New York native, Shamiqua Holtzclaw. At this time, something really significant happened in your life. It was around 2002. Your grandma, your mm-hmm. rock, died. Mm-hmm. How did you respond to her death? I, I remember, like, yesterday, um, no one wanted to tell me that she had already died because they just thought, like, I would just be in shock. And so I got there, and I remember my mother called me into my grand's room, and you walk in, all my family's there, and just like, Grandma passed away in her sleep and heart attack and I just remember sitting there crying and I, it's like I, I cry I cry and then I, by the time I left that room I just put on that brave face um, you know I, I always tell people I buried my grandmother and I, and I buried my emotions and I never grieved um, that was the thing you know I buried her two days later I was back on a, the basketball court Uh, I remember waking up like in a in a sweat because in my dream she told me Shamiqua Shamiqua you have to let me go I'm I'm okay you know I always liken it to a bag and if you continually stuff it stuff it eventually that bag is gonna overflow is is no more space and and that's what happened to me you know it it really um, hit me. They, they said I was, like, missing for, like, three days, but I was, like, at my house and, you know, just, like, pretty much in the dark. I remember that. And just having, like, severe suicide ideation, I um, had planned um, my perfect exit from this world. And my friends told me, man, like, you were all over, like, ESPN. You're missing it. Actually, I'm a big star at this time in um, D.C., and it's during my season. And I, I just think I was just really... Um, in a in a dark place, the mania just operating in a different different space, really detached. Pat Summit flew in to try and talk to her, but no one could get Shamiqua out of her house. Eventually, a friend who had a key was able to go in and convince Shamiqua to talk to a psychiatrist. And I remember the the, the psychiatrist telling me, "You're, you're um, suicidal. Okay, you know, you're gonna. We have to like stabilize you." And I just remember. I just jumped up by a chair and I'm like going off on the lady like, how the hell can you tell me that you don't know me? So I'm going to sit here in this chair and you're going to tell me you met me for the first time that I'm I'm, I'm, I'm suicidal. I said, I, I don't believe that. And I was like, oh, my yeah, God, you this really is some had B- some walls B- up. Right. I'm like, this is some BS. You're all crazy. You're just trying to put me into a mental institution or something. You're, 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 you're selfish. I'm like going off. And then she tells me I have to like take this medication or whatever. Well, let me ask you then, Shamiqua, did you, it was at this time that you were diagnosed with clinical depression and you started medications. Did you embrace this diagnosis? I know you were upset at first, but did it, did it settle in eventually? Uh, yeah, it, it's settled on a little bit, but there's still a lot of confusion. Mm. You know, all right, if you have like addiction, you know, my parents were struggling with addiction, even though my grandma got me help, but you know now like that, that, that affects your like mental health. A lot of, sometimes it's yeah. bad mental health issues, emotional, bipolar, different things that trigger people to, um, you know, have like addiction issues and things like that. But we just never talked about that. Like, 
I wish we would have discussed these things in my in my household. So now I'm having these things uh, pop up, these feelings, these emotions. And, you know, I'm getting really on a defensive about them. I wanted to always make good decisions and be a leader. And here I am now on the, on the flip side of that, you know, having having my own uh, personal challenges and not having that the skill set to, under, to understand them. It, it was just really uh, a tough time for me. What was going on in Shamiqua's life and what the basketball viewing public knew were two totally different things. Aside from some confusion about the mispractices, only the people closest to her really knew what was going on. From there, things were up and down for Shamiqua for a little while. The medication seemed to work, and she says she got therapy through her new team in the WNBA, the Los Angeles Sparks. But then she stopped taking her meds. And after a trip home to see her father, Shamiqua's suicidal thoughts turned into action. She attempted to take her life. A friend found her and got her to a doctor where she started thinking. And I sat there and it's like, I had that thought, I can't be the only one like going through this. And, you know, after that, it gave me, um, it gave, it's like forced me to like share, disclose kind of what was going on. Shamiqua opened up to the public, to her fans. The response was really supportive. She got letters from fans all over talking about how they've struggled, too. You know, I would read some of the letters, and it gave me a little bit of, um, well, it gave me hope, you know, because I felt, like, really hopeless before that. Uh, I felt like finally, like, I I mattered. Like, the athlete kicked in. I I could get through this. But Shamiqua wasn't out of the woods. After we take a break, the incident that finally broke her out of her spiral and why today she largely stays away from the thing that had always been her escape, basketball. Hey, it's Vic. I really appreciate you being a Back From Broken listener. It means a lot. Now, can you do me a favor? Can you take a moment to find Back From Broken on whatever podcast app you use, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and give us a like, a rating, and even a review? If you think what we're doing matters, if you think it's important to talk about recovery with compassion and hope, all you got to do to help spread the word is like, rate, or review this podcast. It really does help other people find Back From Broken. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting podcasts from Colorado Public Radio. From a really young age, Shamiqua Holdsclaw found peace on the basketball court. But after retiring from basketball in 2010, she often had to spend a lot of time just sitting alone without the game that provided her a distraction from her problems her entire life. After a couple of years of not being on the court, she could feel herself drifting into mania again. And in the midst of that mania, she found herself in Atlanta trying to get in touch with her ex-girlfriend. She needed help and didn't know where else to turn. What happened next this is the Atlanta Police Department, 911. turned out to be one of the darkest moments of her life. I actually tried to destroy my friend's Range Rover. And the person who did this, are uh, they still there? No, she drove away. Her name is Shamiqua Holtzclaw. 
she's a basketball player. She's mentally unstable. Police say Lacey called a friend after she noticed her car smelled like gasoline and realized Holds Claw was following her. Lacey then drove over to a friend's house, but when she got there... I just remember, you know, um, following uh, my friend at the time and, and um, you know, in my in my truck. And when they pulled up to a house or a place of business, I... You Holds know, Claw I, uh, allegedly went on the attack, bashing in the windows of Lacey's Range Rover with a baseball bat while she was still inside. And then the violence escalated. Shamiqua used a baseball bat. Then she pulled out a gun. I, you know, hopped out and I, you know, basically like fired my personal weapon through the back of the individual's um, truck. Now, Lacey wasn't hurt in the attack and has released a statement through her team, the Tulsa Shock. I really just like was off the off the cuff. I wasn't really like angry at anyone. It was just like a total like emotional um, collapse. When it happened, it just was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't feel like the same emotions that I feel now, like having like full understandings. It's like you're operating in a, in a different realm and I'm trying, it's like I'm trying to get back grounded. But at the same time, like my phone's ringing and I see that gun, like the nine millimeter in the passenger seat. And only thing I want to think about is like putting it to my head and uh, pulling the trigger. And I'm profusely like crying. Oh my and gosh, Shamika. One of my friends is like, just go, just go home. Just, just go home. Remember, I'm going to meet you there. And they said I walked in and I was just like, you know, oh, I better call the police. Like they said, it was just like, they, they didn't even recognize me. They said, I was just like, oh, I got to call the police and tell them that I did something, did something bad. Um, and that's something that I had to, I've had to, to live with. And that's really why I don't like talking about because I, I've, I, it's, it's, it's like a thing that like triggers a lot of emotions because I didn't want to like hurt anybody. I didn't understand like what was going on. And I had gone through a lot of emotional stuff and been severely um, depressed, my anxiety, all these things. I can go back and I can understand like why they happened. This, I can't understand like yeah. why, why this happened. Superior Court of Fulton County, Atlanta Judicial Circuit is now in session. That incident was all over the news and not just in Atlanta. No one was hurt, but Shamiqua pleaded guilty to the charges and was sentenced to three years probation and 120 hours of community service. Aggravated assault, guilty or not guilty? Uh, guilty. Aggravated assault count two, guilty or not guilty? Guilty. Criminal damage to property in the first degree, guilty or not guilty? Guilty. I wasn't worried about like, you know, the whole legal stuff. It, it, it's like I'm the type, like I said earlier, from Coach Summit to my grandmother, you do something, you take responsibility for it. I knew like it was hard going to court. It's hard having to deal with that publicly. That's something I, I could understand. You know, that that wasn't creating the, the stress, as much stress as it was like trying to figure out who am I? While Shamiqua was trying to answer that question, she was getting calls from all kinds of people in her life, including a former teammate from Tennessee who said that Pat Summit saw the headlines and wanted Shamiqua to come see her. And she was like, man, you need to get up here and see her because she's worried about you. So once I kind of like collected myself, you know, I can't remember if it was a week or two or whatever, but I get go to Knoxville and, um, you know, we sit down and we have a conversation and, 
you know, just talk life. And it was like very like eye opening um, because, you know, she said like since I was younger, um, you know, like my grandmother, her used to have conversations, you know, and be uh, worried about me. And the main thing was if I'm going to get back to being, you know, Shamiqua, you know, the the, the fun loving Shamiqua, you know, the the happy in yeah. a sense Shamiqua. And I was going to have to do the work and get the help, you know, that I needed consistently. And her big thing was like surrounding myself. She said, get rid, get rid, get rid of the people that um, around you. Delete those phone numbers, huh? Delete, delete, delete. And, um, you know, just basically deal with people that know your character. Those are going to be the ones to um, help you through. And she was very honest in her assessment. And I really I really took it to heart. I I think about it um, even to this day um, because her and my grandmother are so much alike. And it, it would be something that my grandmother would would tell me. Um, also, so I really like took it took it to heart. Shamiqua got a new diagnosis for what she had been feeling her whole life. She had bipolar disorder. All those episodes of frenetic highs and depressive lows, feeling like she wasn't in control of her actions, it all made sense now. She found a therapist that she really connected with. That's something she says is key to success. And she started meditation and made a big effort to be mindful of her mental health at all times. You know, we, we just chalked the whole mental piece uh, uh, to, to the side. You know, this is this is what we do. You know, it's that whole um, detachment. And now if you can control that, no matter like what you go through and learn to control emotions and, and find things that create peace in your in your life, you know, your your perception like mm-hmm. like changes. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just creates a, a different flow. You know, I I I have to like really take a step back because I know once I get in it and once I know me and once I'm like, ah, oh, like, let's just have fun. I don't care. That's when it's, it's, mm. all, it's, all, it's all bad. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just really trying to, to find balance. I can have fun. It's just that that energy, that that constant high will mm. affect me and it will drain me. And then that, that come down is bad. Well, let me ask you, we've talked about Pat Summit a lot um, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and She's obviously been such a, a crucial figure in your life. She died a few years ago. Um, she was a motherly figure in your life. Um, how did you deal with with her loss? Um, it was uh, it was really tough for me. Yeah. Um, it, it it was it, it really stung me in the heart. Like just oh man, I just was like almost like that collapse feeling. But everybody's calling me to check on me. And I actually had like work really hard, so I had the the, the uh, skill set to actually de- deal with yeah, this. Yeah, that's you what know? I was going like, to ask you is because by this time, by the time she died, you you were already had a few years of recovery under your belt. Did you have the? Did you think you had the tools to better help you deal with that? Oh, I I really did. I, I had the tools. Like, okay, she had the private funeral, right, and then she had the. The public funeral, which ESPN covered, and it was open to all fans, all people. So you're talking about a 20,000-plus arena, right? So I knew for me, I can go to the private one, which was, you know, maybe a hundred and so people, and I couldn't go to the public one because it would be too much stimulation. Well, it's just the fact that you know that, that you recognize that the bigger funeral would have been 
a tougher thing for you to deal with emotionally. And so, okay, uh, yes. let's just take it off the table. It's these kinds of tools that you didn't have for the longest time. Yep, you're right, because the old me would have been trying to, like, everybody was calling me, all my friends from college, because pretty much everybody was there, and it would have been me wanting to be a people pleaser and yeah. not putting myself first. Shamiqua retired from basketball in 2010, and with her resume, there's plenty of opportunities for her to stay in the game as a coach or in a team's front office. But Shamiqua actually prefers to be away from the game of basketball right now. She lives a quiet life with her wife in Los Angeles. And that floating feeling she described when she was on the court, well, now she prefers to stay grounded. People see me as, you know, a great basketball player and they want me around in game. But I had to detach from that. I had to detach from that um, identity. And I, and I had to, like, find my way. And finding my way, I realized that a lot of who my grandmother was is, is instilled in me. And it's really wanted to be want to be on the ground, like really helping people. It's not just like going around speaking about it, but my everyday life, like touching people. Yeah. And, and that's just really um, important for me because that gives, that gives me life. You know, I'm just, I'm really just glad that um, I've, I've just grown to this point and I, I accept this. I, I really do um, accept it. It's, it's a, it's a process and I, I choose, I'm up to the challenge to attack it every day. I feel so good about the person that I am today and, and still like I'm a work in progress, but now I get it. Like my heart is full. I always say the colors back in my life. And so I just always say, God, God, I'm 42 years old. Give me at least 30 more years like this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Shamiqua continues to work as a mental health advocate. She even recently launched her own podcast called Tremendous Upside, where she talks mental health with fellow athletes. Back from Broken is a show about how we're all broken sometimes and how we need help from time to time. If you're struggling with mental health issues, you can find a list of resources at our website, backfrombroken.org. This is Brianna from Wheat Ridge, Colorado. This is what's going on in my recovery. I'm six and a half years sober from alcohol and just started going to Alcoholics Anonymous last year after celebrating my sixth year sober. I am so grateful to have finally joined a recovery program and have friends and a community of people that get me, support me, and help me. This is Chelsea calling from Lafayette, Indiana. In 2019, I went back to school and graduated from a master's program, and this year I am now five months pregnant. It has been a complete mind, body, and spirit transformation. We'd love to hear how you're doing in your recovery, and we might share it on this podcast so everybody listening can give you a virtual pat on the back too. Record a voice memo or MP3 and send it to Vic at backfrombroken.org. If you know someone who might benefit from stories like this, please share this podcast with them. We spent more than a year building this show on research, interviews, production, editing, because we know it'll help people. But it does cost money. The people who listen to this podcast, people just like you, make it a reality. You can give a little bit now at backfrombroken.org. Back From Broken is hosted by me, Vic Vela. 
It's a production of Colorado Public Radio's Audio Innovation Studio and CPR News. Thanks to the people in recovery who helped develop this podcast, Ben, Matthew, Sean, and Mateo, thank you so much for your guidance. The show is produced by Rebecca Romberg, John Pino, and Matthew Simonson. Rachel Estabrook edited this episode. Our executive producers are Brad Turner and Kevin Dale. Music by Brad Turner and Daniel Mesher. Thanks also to Francie Swidler, Kim Wynn, Hart Van Denberg, and Kevin Beatty. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find it. And thanks for listening to Back From Broken.